Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us as we get underway at eight minutes past the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 21st morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Two very great guests coming onto the program today in about a half an hour. Our friend David Ray will update us from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And we will discuss the White House's rollout today of uh, the new rule, the new proposal they want to enact and they want to actually, shouldn't even just say enact, they want to uh, put into effect um, changing the loophole, the 20-day loophole, the Flores Law, um, so that uh, U.S. Customs and Border Enforcement professionals can keep families for longer than 20 days and end to catch and release. This is coming today from the White House. David Ray will tell us all about it and, of course, the inevitable court challenge to it and what that means going forward. So it's a big deal. Obviously, it kind of removes the carrot. We've all often talked about this uh, that brings so many people to this country from Central America and other places. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is, uh, it is a carrot that really, you know, makes them, uh, uh, feel like this is worth the attempt to come to the United States. The worst case scenarios were caught and held for 20 days, then released, and we don't have to go back for our hearing because nobody else does either. So we'll talk to uh, Avery about that. Then also, kind of an interesting story and a bit of a different one. Christianity continuing to be under attack in the country and online. There's a group called the Mighty Oaks Foundation, a charity providing support for those suffering from wartime trauma, like PTSD. And this organization ran ads online to try to help uh, more individuals, more you know veterans who have been suffering from uh, various uh, inflictions and ailments of that type. And they were denied 
an opportunity by YouTube to run their ads because of the presence of the word Christian in their outreach organization. Christianity censored simply because of the name Christ. And we are going to talk about that uh, with uh, the, well, the founder of that organization, Chad Robichaud, uh, runs the Mighty Oaks Foundation. That'll be at 1035. So a couple of great guests are coming up to talk about a couple of very different things. But we want to lead the show today with what you just heard Hugh Hewitt ending his show with. President Donald Trump is under attack. He is being uh, accused of, well, all kinds of things because of a word choice that he used when he was describing Sharia Tlaib. And uh, Il, uh, Shihad, uh, Jihad Omar, that those are my names for them, and their incredible anti-Semitism toward Israel. And the president was, as you heard Hugh talking about, simply talking about American Jews and saying how you could vote for any of these Democrats who are so anti-Semitic is, is impossible for me to understand. It's, it's disloyalty. Disloyalty to Judaism disloyalty to being Jewish. How could you vote for someone who is so anti-Israel and anti-Jew? That's what the president meant, but that's not, of course, how it's being spoken. The president made the remark in the Oval Office while attacking two congresswomen who are banned from Israel for comments they've made about the nation's treatment of Palestinians. Where has the Democratic Party gone? Where have they gone? where they're defending these two people over the state of Israel. In a statement, the American Jewish Committee called the president's statements shockingly divisive, saying American Jews, like all Americans, have a range of political views and policy priorities. Of course, the problem here, as as Hugh Hewitt correctly pointed out, is the president, see, President Trump is clumsy. Let's just be frank, all right? President Trump is clumsy and clunky in his language. He's stilted in his delivery. He ponders and looks for word choices that don't come to him in time. And so he says words that aren't correct. It's kind of funny because, um, you know, in, in some of the mockery of Donald Trump pre-presidential um, and, you know, term starting, even, even really before his... Um, his campaign started back in the summer of 2015. You remember one of the, you know, one of the uh, videos that people used to mock him, and I played it once or twice as well. Was him always talking about himself in superlative terms, meaning everything that I do is the best, everything that I touch becomes the best, everything that I have is the best, uh, and everything that I acquire will be the best. Everything that I decide to attack will be the best. It's his superlative nature. Right. And one of the ones that he said was, is, uh, I'm a great speaker. I'm a great talker. I have the very best words. And it was, it was a joke. I mean, it was like, I have the best words. What does that mean? You have a different dictionary than everybody else has, a better thesaurus than everybody else has. Uh, we all have the same words. How we choose to use them is the question. But at any rate, um, the reality of the situation is he doesn't always have the best words. The reality is the president is a clumsy talker. He is not an eloquent speaker. When he's on message by way of teleprompter, um, he can do very well, although it still sounds pained to him. We've heard him during uh, emotional and or very serious uh, speeches on prompter in which he is almost hyperventilating a little bit, breathing really heavily out his nose, and you can hear the... You know, because it's hard for him. He's it's it's not his game. I mean, for being a guy who spent his entire life in the public eye, President Trump is not a comfortable speaker. That's why when he does his rallies, he gets everybody fired up. But he says things that also make people in the crowd go yeah, 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 a little cringe. Did you say that? Don't say that. 
And it's because he doesn't, you know, it's it's the old mouth-brain um, disengagement. Uh, the brain didn't send the right message to the mouth before the mouth uh, got moving, and sometimes that happens. So the president, being a clumsy speaker, spoke in a clumsy manner, as you just heard Hugh talking about, in declaring that any Jew who votes for a Democrat is displaying disloyalty. Disloyalty would indicate that they're not loyal to him, or not loyal to the Republican Party, or not loyal to even America, and that is not what he meant. I think it is very clear that he meant you're being disloyal to yourself, to Judaism, to Jews. When you hear anti-Semitism coming from the likes of uh, Jihad Omar and um, Sharia Tlaib, if you support them and if you support any candidates for president who are like them, who are just shockingly anti-Semitic, then you're being disloyal to yourself, to Jews. And I think that's very clear. That's what he meant. But the left, of course, is going to exploit this. And the president really has only himself to blame because he doesn't always have the best words to, to follow that story a little further. There's a great article on this, I believe, uh, in uh, Breitbart this morning. And I'm going to share it on social media if you follow me at Twitter, Facebook, or Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R, at France Radio and those places. Um, you can read it for yourself. But there's a great piece here by Joel Pollack at Breitbart, uh, Breitbart rather, um, explaining this, that President Trump just told liberal Jews what they've been telling conservative Jews for years about disloyalty. Conservatives are often puzzled about how the majority of Jews can still vote Democrat. I've brought this up on the show many times. Many times. I've asked Jews to call me and say, why are the majority of American Jews pro-Democrat when Democrats are so anti-Jew? <laughs> I mean, seriously, especially at the presidential level, President Trump is the only one with the guts to do what he and every other president, Democrat and Republican, for the last 60 years or so have promised to do. Going back to the actual uh, uh, founding of Israel, the establishment of, establishment of Israel as a nation state in 1948, President Trump finally did it. He moved the American embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. He declared that he and the United States officially recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. There is no president that has been more pro-Israel and pro-Jew in this country. I want to say in recent history, maybe history, at least going back to the formation of the nation-state of Israel, than Donald Trump. And we wonder, we sit here and wonder, how can American Jews vote Democrat? How can they possibly vote for a party that has become so anti-Israel and tolerates anti-Semitism from the likes of Omar and Tlaib? Uh, Breitbart. Christian conservatives also ask privately and politely why Jews are liberal. Jewish conservatives are less restrained and often express outright frustration. Norman Potter, uh, uh, Potteritz even wrote a book about it called Why Are Jews Liberals? For most Jewish conservatives, the question is about as much, as much about pain as politics. Each of us bears the scars of family dinners gone wrong, of angry emails from relatives who call us disloyal Jews, and even anti-Semites because they watch CNN, or believe their liberal rabbi, or follow the trash that the New York Times prints about Donald Trump, the first Jewish Zaid in the White House, and the best friend that the Jewish, that the Jewish state has ever had. 
So when President Trump criticized Omar and Tlaib for their hostility toward Israel and asked how Democrats could consider cutting aid to Israel because of two people that hate Israel and hate Jewish people, adding, I think any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat, I think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or a great disloyalty, most Jewish conservatives knew exactly where he was coming from, even if we may not have chosen those words. Trump Trump meant disloyalty to the Jewish people, not to America. Leftists and mainstream media pundits, but I repeat myself, that's a wonderful phrase that Peter always uses, um, are trying to twist his words, saying he was questioning Jews' loyalty to the United States. No, that's what Omar and Tlaib do. That's what Representative Ted Lieu did earlier this month. Trump was questioning their loyalty to the Jewish people. I would not have used the word loyalty because it is vulnerable to, vulnerable to being twisted. Nor would I have demanded that all Jews vote Republican. But we conservative Jews have been told for years by left-wing Jews, some of whom only embrace their Jewish identity to trash Israel, that Jewish values require voting Democrat. Trump has more Jewish grandchildren than many of the Jewish liberals criticizing him today. Contrary to what some critics have suggested, he does not, as a Gentile, have to butt out. He gets a say in this, too. I don't agree that Jews who vote Democrat are ignorant or disloyal. Some have been conned by the same media who will try to convince them Trump said something anti-Semitic today. Some have genuine differences of opinion. I believe people can change their minds. I was once on the left, too. But what Trump has done is given the Jewish left a taste of its own medicine. Two wrongs don't make a right, but this is a teachable moment and one that is long overdue. So that, again, is Joel Pollack at Breitbart trying to provide context and accuracy to the president's clumsiness and his clunkiness. The president just simply needs to take a break. He needs to slow down. He doesn't like... Here's the thing. If you you ever really listen to the president, how does he get himself in some of these verbal entanglements? And they're different, by the way, than Joe Biden's verbal entangle. Joe Biden is a gaffe machine. Joe Biden just doesn't know things. He speaks about things that he doesn't understand, says things that are not so. He's just so deceptively dumb. I mean, you did see the latest, right? Joe Biden declared that uh, John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy were both assassinated in the, in the late 70s. In the late 70s! Even if he had said late 60s, it wouldn't have been accurate. <laughs> if you think about when JFK was killed and Robert F. But he's, 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 just, he's just not there. President Trump is there. But the president doesn't like pauses. You ever notice that? Whenever the president gives one of his long rambling answers in an interview or a press conference or a debate, he needs to fill every second or, or two with words. He, and he, so he speaks stream of consciousness, and whatever pops in comes out. Rather than accepting pauses as being um, an acceptable form of thought and, care, uh, and, and careful consideration of what you want to say. He, he, he just kind of goes so fast sometimes, he has to fill every moment of silence with sound that sometimes he spits words out before he considers them. And disloyalty was the wrong word. It was the wrong word. And they're going to make hay out of this. 
They're going to claim that President Trump is actually being anti-Semitic, that he is stereotyping Jews, etc., etc. It's a terrible, terrible situation, one that needs our attention, and one that we and I and Hugh Hewitt today and others are going to try to rectify because we know where the president's heart is. He has been the most pro-Israel president in recent American history, and again, I'll say since 1948. He has been the most pro-Jew president, uh, and he needs to be recognized as such. He also needs to come out either on Twitter or with a statement from the White House press office. Uh, he needs to come out with a statement saying, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, I said disloyalty, and all I meant was disloyal to themselves, that Jews need to look out for Jews, and Democrats aren't the way to do that. That's all he needs to do is correct this quickly. All right, it's 922, just getting rolling. The Bob France Authority back after this. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. All right, 927 out of Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, the president in some hot water, tripping over himself, using the wrong words to describe what he meant about American Jews and how they can possibly vote Democrat when the Democrats are so uh, devotedly anti-Semitic. He said they should be more loyal, and uh, he means to himself, or he means to themselves. He knows that Jewish Americans voting for Democrats is bad for Jewish Americans. That's disloyalty to yourselves, the president was trying to say. But he just stopped at disloyal, and of course, that has uh, set the attack dogs a-howling. Navy man Norm is calling us from Strongsville on AM 1420, the answer. Hi, Norm, go ahead, sir. Morning, Bob. Uh, if I could do an analogy, this is akin to uh, we Catholics uh, who are pro-life and as far as I'm concerned, you cannot be pro-life and pro-abortion, period. End of story. You know, the social justice nonsense that the Catholic Church and Christian churches in general harp on about, the, you know, the social justice, the immigration, this, that, and the other thing. But they look the other way when it comes to life. They look the other way when it comes to infanticide. And yes, President Trump was clumsy in his words, but at the same time, not one Um, Not one Democrat congressman or senator was in Jerusalem for the move of the U.S. Embassy, were they? Not a single one. That is correct. What what does that tell you? They're they're disloyal to Israel, okay? And, you know, perhaps President Trump chose the wrong words, as he often does. But at the same time, I think he made a point, just like you and I make points with our fellow Catholics and Christians, okay? If you believe in life, if you believe in the sanctity of human life, and, you know, the, the words of Christ, the words of God in the Bible, and in our Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The very first word was life. They could have put liberty first, they could have put the pursuit, but no, they put life first. So I have a real problem with our fellow Catholics who profess to be Catholic and they adhere to the Catholic doctrine, and yet... They'll vote for a pro-abortion Democrat, one who's infanticide. If you dare question them, oh, they have they have a fit. Well, in my case, I've lost several friends, and I don't care. You know, I stand for pro-life. I stand for Israel myself. I have uh, quite a few Jewish friends, and yes, I get into it with them, and I and I ask them, how can you possibly vote for a party that turns its back on Israel? that allows anti-Semitism to flourish in its parties, in its policies, and even anti-Americanism. So, 
Yeah, I guess the best. And what thing kind of I'm, answers do you? What kind of answers do you typically typically get to that, Norm? Oh, uh, it, it, that's not the only thing. And they go, "What do you mean it's not the only thing?" You know, the Jewish state was founded in 1948. They went to war. They they're surrounded, you know, by countries that want to put them put their lights out permanently. They went to war in 1967, and again in 1973 when they got a little lax. And, you know, and you try to make an impression on these folks. You know, it, it's just yeah. amazing. But, you well, know, it, you know, it's, it's good to mind. know that there, it's good to know, Norm, that there are people like you out there fighting and, and, and we, we keep friendships, but do it under the pretense of, of, you know, of a lie. Uh, essentially, it's not worth it to me. Um, we have to, you know, I, I, I hate to steal from other radio hosts, but Larry Elder's open and i fill in for larry on a semi-regular basis um he said we got a country to save we do and essentially if you really look at it on a bigger picture when it comes to our allies like israel we have a world to save and we don't do that by lying we have to tell the truth and uh, uh president trump was trying to do that liberal democrats in america liberal jews rather liberal jews if you vote democrat you are not helping yourselves you are being disloyal to jews yourselves that's the point he was trying to make all right uh 931 we got dave ray coming on next here on am 1420 the answer All right, 936, now the Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420, The Answer. Under a new DHS plan, so-called catch and release will soon end, and all illegal migrant families will be kept together and in U.S. facilities during their immigration proceedings. The plan closes a legal loophole that requires the release of illegal immigrants after 20 days in custody. The move would terminate the legal Flores settlement ruling by establishing new standards for caring for migrants and their children. The plan will almost most certainly be challenged immediately in the federal courts. According to DHS, more than 430,000 illegal family units have been apprehended at the southern border since last October. So there's no doubt it's going to be challenged immediately. That part is obvious, but still this is a very necessary and important first step to be taken uh, in closing the loopholes that have led, uh, that have acted essentially as a carrot, as we discussed before leading so many uh, migrant families and pseudo-families to come from Central America and other parts of the globe through uh, that corridor up through Mexico into the United States. Joining us now with some analysis of this latest procedural move by the administration is Dave Ray from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Dave, good morning. Hey, Bob. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, uh, Dave. Thanks so much for the time today. Um, you bet. You know, as I reached out to you this morning to ask you to come on to analyze this for us, you correctly said, with the same thing that John Decker just said on the Fox News report, that um, this is a uh, this is a move that's going to be challenged and enjoined immediately in a court. Uh, so it will not take effect today, but it is extraordinarily important. This is what we have been yelling at our members of Congress about when we talk about closing the legal loopholes that allow. Um, catch and release that allow these people to come to the United States, be held for 20 days, and then be released with a promise that they'll come back for their adjudication, and they never do. Well, absolutely. You know, the cleanest way for this to happen would have been for Congress to do it, but uh, the chances of getting uh, the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives to agree to anything that's going to improve immigration enforcement is about zip. And so the Trump administration, after waiting for like, you know, three years for this to happen in Congress, because it's really 
common sense. And we, it, it's easy to see what's going on here. You have a loophole that that mandates that people who arrive with children can't be held for more than 20 days. What are you going to end up with? Everybody arriving with children. Yeah. Uh, so the Trump administration has uh, moved forward with this rule change that would uh, strike down this 1997 decision, allow the government to hold on to families that arrive with children in a safe detention facility. Um, and, uh, you know, it just makes common sense. I mean, think about this. While we were at the border last week, Bob and McAllen, Border Patrol yeah. agents gave a great anecdote. In 2014, 1% of, of men coming into the United States arrived with a child. Today, that number is nearly 50%. There's a reason why, Bob, and that reason was Flores. And so anybody who, uh, you know, the, the reason for our asylum laws are to provide safe refuge for people fleeing real persecution. Uh, so by, by, by terminating uh, the catch and release program, these families will be provided the safety that they deserve to have uh, under the protection of the U.S. government in the United States until the courts can make a decision on the validity of their asylum claim. Now, we know about 90% of their claims are going to be turned down. That's why they never fail to, why they never end up showing up for their uh, court hearings in the first place. But this, at least for those who are saying we're putting families at risk and so on, this provides safe haven for them and a chance for their day in court. Dave Ray from the Federation for American Immigration Reform joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. I should point out, too, Flores from 1997 may have been the, the, uh, uh, the amend, or the agreement, rather, that has led to this, but it was 2015. We should point this out. Right. In 2015, an Obama-appointed judge, here's what Flores says. Flores said, originally in 1997, uh, that unaccompanied, unaccompanied alien children, um, uh, would be, oh, not be able to be held any longer than 20 days before they had to be released and, uh, and, and, you know, provided care and so on and so forth, whether it be foster families or whatever the case might be. They had to be processed quickly within 20 days and released into the U.S. somehow. In 2015, an Obama appointed judge ruled that agreement also applied to alien children accompanied by a parent or family unit, even if that right. are, uh, may or may not be able to be, to be established. Who are these adults that are with these children? So that's the problem here. The Expansion was done in 2015 under Obama, and that's really what has led to um, uh, these unprecedented numbers of, of children unaccompanied or accompanied and unaccompanied uh, storming the border right now. My question to you, Dave, is why hasn't anybody just appealed that judge's ruling? Yeah, I don't know what the legal uh, mechanism is for doing that. If it's something that has to be fixed, actually, by a new rule by the administration, uh, if. There could be appeals for that right now, but we need to point out that catch and release uh, has been proven to, to pose major risks to the American public. I mean, you know, we've seen an explosion in MS-13. Who are the members of MS-13? Juvenile, uh, largely juvenile, uh, juveniles from Central America who've come in and have been released. The other thing is when these parents are, co are coming in, and being released by the government. That is after a very cursory background check on these folks. You know, uh, oftentimes the, the, the adults arrive without any form of ID. Uh, we're getting, you know, in some instances, 4,500 people are showing up in a single day. I mean, how much of an in-depth 
uh, analysis can you do on this adult to find out who they really are and what they've really done before they're on their way to Cleveland to relocate. And so this uh, uh, move by the Trump administration would not only protect uh, public safety for Americans, but it would also protect the families. And uh, we have been hoping, we knew the Trump administration was working on this new rule all summer long. We've been hoping this decision would come down, and uh, this is two thumbs up from FAIR for this move today. Yeah, no question about it. Again, even though it's going to be a long court fight in front of them. Uh, do you have any update for us, Dave Ray, on the uh, number of uh, apprehensions and the number of crossings we have seen this summer? We Last time we talked, when you were at the border in McAllen, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, the problem is getting under control. Uh, you know, apprehensions are down, crossings are down, and so on and so forth. But, you know, obviously, as has been pointed out by experts, this happens every year at this time. Dave, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I yes, heard a click. I heard a the- click. I, no, no, hold on. Yeah, let me finish the question. I, I heard a click. I thought we lost you for a second. Uh, no. But obviously, it, you know, the heat, um, it, it's obviously a very, very difficult thing to do uh, to make long, arduous journeys in the summer months down there in Mexico and at our uh, southwestern border states. So we have seen a decrease in that almost every year. That doesn't necessarily mean that the threat is any, um, you know, any uh, lessened uh, based on those numbers. Right. Go ahead. Well, you know, Bob, you have accused me of being the the continuous optimist on this, but uh, what I'm seeing, uh, you know, is is more than you can account for a downturn in summer apprehensions. We look historically, and in the summer, apprehensions tend to go down by 10 to 15 percent. Just off the top of my head, I think the numbers for July were 100, or for June were 144,000, and then for July were right around 100,000. That's a lot more than 10 to 15%. I can give you my own um, personal vignette. I'm uh, in communication with a Border border Patrol agent from McAllen, and after I left, he sent me a note and said, you know, that the numbers are really plunging now and that they think what is happening, and of course we're not going to know until the end of August when the numbers are released, but what they think is really happening, remember when Mexico made its decision uh, along, after you know, some pressure from President Trump to really crack down on its southern border. And we have the you know, government of Guatemala in, in cooperation with us on, on you know, trying to, to tamp down uh, its illegal uh, crossings there. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, we, there were a lot of people in Mexico already on their way to the United States. So those folks would have shown up you know, in July and in, in, and in August. So if me- what Mexico is doing is working and, uh, you know, they, they dispatched nearly 10,000 federal troops to their southern border, they have federal troops on the northern border, they are uh, turning people away, and then uh, you, really this is a PR game as well. If there's enough doubt placed in the minds of Central Americans that this trip isn't worth it, remember, illegal aliens like you and I, Bob, are just rational individuals, and they make uh, decisions because they think they can get away with it. That yes, it's a rational decision. I will go there, scam the asylum system, and I'll get caught and released. Now, if they believe that the, the dynamics have changed in the United States and they can no longer game the system, or it's not going to be as easily uh, easy to pass through Mexico, which is you know. 1,800 miles of, of Mexico they have to go through to get here, then there are going to be people le- le- well, less likely to game the system in the first place. So I would 
think that this month we're going to see a substantial decrease, maybe even back to, you know, what they were receiving in the Obama administration years, which was about 50000 a year, which is a third of what we had in June. That would be uh, a return to quasi-normalcy, but still those are much higher than what, uh, what we'd like to be seeing coming in nevertheless. Yeah, and I'm glad you added that last line, Dave, because yeah, one of the reasons that you know I I'm, I'm careful to to believe in in this fool's gold that you know yeah. that the apprehensions are down and the crossings are down and we're making all of these uh, uh, these gains uh, is because all that's going to do is embolden those who are opposed to the border security wall, saying, "See, we don't need a wall. It's going down on its own. This is ridiculous. Trump is trying to scam us, et cetera, et cetera." With the construction of this wall, and I believe we absolutely still do need a border security wall. And I think if these numbers yeah. get low enough, and we, uh, you know, if we're not careful to provide context here, it's going to give them ammunition against it right well you know bob uh, i've been to the border many times i have yet to meet a single border patrol agent man or woman who uh did not think the wall was the best thing that ever happened i mean it is certainly a tool it's not the the silver bullet stopping illegal immigration but it is an important tool uh that helps uh protect their lives and helps force uh, people uh, out into the more remote sections of the border where they're more easily apprehended. And, you know, the other thing about illegal immigration, this is a cottage industry uh, in Mexico and in Central America. That is, you know, having people pay you to sneak you into the United States. So this is not a phenomenon that's going to end. This is something, it's a problem that we are going to have to manage for the next hundred years probably. There's always going to be people looking to exploit uh, benevolent U.S. laws. You know, the TVPRA law, which is another loophole that needs to be fixed, was passed to stop child trafficking, uh, uh, kids coming up from Central America. And I don't know if you've ever read about child trafficking, but it's just awful what happens to some of these children once they get into the United States. There's sexual exploitation, slavery, etc., uh, and not only that, not only that, Dave, but on route to the United States. Yeah, yeah, and you know you have not, border patrol agents saying, "I'm tired of giving nine-year-old uh, uh, administering birth control to nine-year-olds." And right. so, uh, what the TVPRA rule did, though, is say that any child from Central America who's apprehended coming in the U.S. illegally has to be assumed to be. Uh, you know, uh, somebody coming in through child smuggling, and therefore they cannot be sent home, and that incentivized sending children. So you know it was a, it was a decision made to protect children that actually caused uh, an onslaught. You know we became the the Central America's uh, nursery, if you will, and lots. Of, that's when the influx of unaccompanied minors started back before the Obama administration, even. Right, and so. We're always going to have to be able to deal with this. You know, the president is chipping away at the problem, but you also have to remind yourself you have a Democratic Party that looks like it's going to be uh, putting somebody up against President Trump who's going to call for decriminalizing illegal immigration and then offering free health care to illegal immigrants. <laughs> More care. So, you know, so you've got a president trying to tamp down a problem without any help from Congress, and then you have the other political party who has to, who actually controls one of the chambers of Congress, the House of Representatives, calling for an 
for, for ending, you know, criminal sanctions against those who come in the country illegally and free health care. I mean, that's a pretty big incentive, Bob. There's no question about it. That's that's a, that's there's more carrots being dangled out there in front of uh, of people in other countries to get them to chase it into the United States. Dave Ray, Federation for American Immigration Reform. Dave, thank you for the update on the situation. Re Flores and where it goes from here. Obviously, it'll be a protracted court battle, and we'll of course check in with Fair uh, every step of the way. Thank you so much, my friend. You bet, buddy. Have a good day. You do the same, Dave Ray. Dave Ray, Federation for American Immigration Reform on AM 1420. The answer. We'll get a quick time out. Come back right here on the Bob France Authority. Message and data rates may apply. Please do not text and drive. See purple. Message and data rates may apply. Please do not text and drive. See purple.com for terms and conditions. And now for an important announcement. Do you, or does someone you know, sweat the bed? Do you ever wake up feeling like you've been sleeping on a slip and slide? Sweating the bed is a serious but a common problem that affects your sleep, health, and happiness. Plus, it's just plain gross. But it's not you. It's your mattress. Fortunately, there is a cure. It's called Purple. Purple is the only mattress with a scientifically engineered smart comfort grid. This patented technology is designed to let air flow freely so you sleep cool. Side effects of sleeping on Purple include sleeping better, feeling better, and, well, honestly, smelling better. Try the Purple mattress risk-free for 100 nights and never sweat the bed again. And now, through September 8th, receive free sheets and two free pillows with your order by texting DAILY to 84888, the coolest sleep of your life. And free Purple products by texting DAILY to 84888. That's D-A-I-L-Y to All right, 955. Thanks to Dave Ray, Federation for American Immigration Reform, uh, for joining us. So the President of the United States continues to be the victim of the latest R. Well, actually, take that back. He's being victimized by two R's now. Russia, Russia, Russia was quickly replaced after the uh, disastrous testimony of Bob Mueller before uh, multiple uh, congressional committees. Uh, Russia, Russia, Russia was replaced by racist, racist, racist. And that has been now, I won't say replaced by, I will say added to by recession, recession, recession. Um, all of it's trash. All of it is just this much garbage. But it needs to be pointed out. Sometimes you have to take out the trash. Do you not? I just did it last night, by the way. Uh, you do. You have to remove this trash. And one of those doing a great job of pointing out the, the the hypocrisy and the misinformation and the lies being told in an attempt to paint Donald Trump as a racist, the second of the three R's, is Heather McDonald from the Manhattan Institute. She wrote a piece um, headlined, Trump isn't the one dividing us by race. Subheadlined, uh, he hardly mentions it. While his adversaries are obsessed with whiteness and white privilege, it is so very true. What you're seeing right now, I'm going to share more of Heather's words with you after the top of the hour news break. Um, what we're seeing more and more of the same tired uh, game plan or playbook or whatever it is that you want to call it is the Democrats projecting. They project their own moral and political failings onto their opponents, hoping that they will stick. It's true, and this is what Heather is pointing out. The, the, we could even go back to the first R. The real Russian collusion, the real Russian uh, coordination with an American 
presidential campaign was the one conducted by Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton and the DNC, as you probably know, coordinated with Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS to get a phony dossier, the Trump dossier, filled with lies from Russian sources, paid for in order to be able to get a, uh, a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. That's Russian collusion, and yet they projected for the last two and a half years their uh, failings onto Republicans. Race. Donald Trump hardly ever talks about race, and when he does, it's in positive terms. Lowest unemployment rates for African Americans. Lowest unemployment rates for Hispanic Americans. Lowest unemployment rates for Asian Americans. Criminal justice reform. Uh, including the the uh, uh, First Step Act, which allowed more and more minorities to be released from prison. President Trump doesn't talk about race, but when he does, it's in a positive manner for race relations. Democrats, white supremacy, white nationalism, white this, white that, white privilege, and racist president. This is, again, their projection of their own party's history onto the Republicans. And now to the recession, the same exact thing. Democrats who presided with President Obama for eight years over a very stagnant, sluggish economic recovery from recession, um, now calling for recession, claiming that they're calling for it, they're trying to make it happen, and then they will, of course, project blame onto Donald Trump, saying, look at this, he he mismanaged us right into a recession. This ongoing projection from the left to the right, especially to the president, is something that's, that, that has to stop. It's an important tool, it's a part of their playbook, and it's something that we need to stop. Again, Heather McDonald, I think, is doing a great job of trying to interrupt that. I'm going to share her words with you coming up after the top of the hour news, and I would like to hear from you as well. 216 901 888 281 The Bob France Authority. 